There are certain facts about the world that would be true even if there weren't sentient beings. Coming up on Philosophy Talk, finding meaning in a material world. How can there be meaning in a world that is ultimately nothing but gas and dust? Well, even though we're nothing but gas and dust, human beings still value things. That's the source of meaning. It starts in the nature of the valuing beings. I heard a wise person say, humans are value mongers. We create value where existentialists would say we're thrust into the world as valuers. Our guest is Owen Flanagan, author of The Really Hard Problem, Meaning in a Material World. We're all much more aware now that we're psychobiologically and historically fragile beings, and our values are largely given to us without our rational consent, and that should make us more humble. Finding Meaning in a Material World. Recorded live on the Stanford campus as part of the continuing study series, The Art of Living. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the Stanford University campus. This program is part of the Stanford Continuing Study Series, The Art of Living. Our thinking originates across the quad at Philosopher's Corner. That's where Ken and I teach philosophy. Welcome, everyone, to Philosophy Talk. Today, meaning in a material world. Well, Ken, modern science tells us that, sad to say, there are no souls, no transcendent God, nothing transcendent. The universe is dumb matter and energy swirling aimlessly through the void. We humans are nothing but temporary arrangements of such matter, gone and forgotten in the blink of the cosmic eye. What, then, is the point of it all? What's the meaning of human life? You want to tell me that? Well, John, it's an urgent question, but you know, it's, I, I actually worry about this question because I, I fear that it may lead us into a lot of anguish, wailing, and gnashing of the teeth. So you're worried that maybe life has no meaning. Well, that, that I'm afraid, is part of it. Well, you're in good company there. Kierkegaard says that if there's no God, life is nothing but despair. Dostoevsky thinks that if God is dead, everything is permitted. Even that strident atheist Nietzsche believed that once we reject God and see the universe as nothing but dust and gas, we need a total rethink of human existence. Yeah, Nietzsche, Nietzsche predicted that once we follow Darwin's lead and turn the methods of science completely loose on what he saw as the human animal, we're going to end up torching just about everything, everything that makes us special. Freedom, morality, autonomy, self-consciousness, rationality. Well, Nietzsche was pretty prescient. In fact, modern science, especially the science of mind, casts a great deal of doubt about our most cherished beliefs and values and things we think about ourselves. I am a huge, huge fan of science. But, but it's so hard to abide a science that says nothing to us but, you're nothing special. You're just a soulless selfless hunk of meat. Give me science, but give me science that affirms life. Well, you've really imbibed your Nietzsche. You've drunk your Nietzschean Kool-Aid, Ken. That's why you're so upset. He loves science, too, but he wondered whether, as he put it, 
whether science can furnish goals of action that it is after it has proven that such goals should be annihilated and taken away. Nietzsche was a wise man, John. He recognized that in revealing the truth about ourselves and about the nature of the universe, science also threatens to leave us completely disenchanted. But there's the rub. Why look to science to provide us with enchantment, with goals for action, with values, with meaning in the first place? Because science got us into this mess. I mean, the least it could do is tell us how to live in this glorious new universe that's just so graciously bequeathed to us. But see, I think that's a mistake. Science can tell us what is, and it can tell us what is not. But it can't tell us what to do or feel about what is or what isn't. Scientific questions are questions of fact, not questions of value. So science pulls the rug right out from under religion and offers in its place what? A stony silence. Science isn't nearly as destructive of the sources of meaning and value as you seem to fear. Science undermines religions and the spooky stories that they tell. Not to mention, like you said before, our notions of freedom, autonomy, the self. But it still leaves lots of things standing. You still have art, you still have literature, things to read, philosophy, politics, morality. You still have intimate human relations, friendships, lovers, even certain spiritual practices. Now, John, what's gotten into you sound uncharacteristically optimistic today? That's because I think we haven't lost that much. The meaning of life was never really located in the things that science has taken out of the picture and progressively torched. Meaning isn't something we find or fail to find in the universe. It's something we make. Oh, come on. How, how do you imagine that we do that? Making meaning is a matter of what we do. What we do with what we find in the world. We find things like love and fairness, things that we value. We have visions of peace and the end of world hunger that we devote ourselves to, and that's what it is to make meaning. I guess you think we shouldn't blame science, but the limits of our imagination, right? Exactly, you've got it. You know what, now you sound like Nietzsche. Embark, philosophers, he commands. Create new moralities, a new justice, and new meanings. And we're going to do just that. And to help us, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Esch, to talk to someone who finds fulfillment and meaning in a world without God or the supernatural. On a recent Sunday, a group of atheists fanned out across the country, visiting about 20 congregations from Buffalo, New York to Minneapolis, Minnesota. It was called Interview an Atheist at Church Day, and it was organized by Kyle Jones, a PhD candidate in religion at Claremont Lincoln University. The purpose is to start breaking down some of these walls that have existed for a long time between atheists and Christians, and to put a human face, to put skin on atheists, to humanize them so that some stereotypes are fought and that there's mutual dialogue and beneficial growth. Kyle was a little worried the atheists might look down on the religious folks or that the pastors might try to convert the atheists. So he came up with a list of questions to help kick off the conversation. How does your atheism influence your day-to-day actions? How do you as an atheist understand morality? How, as an atheist, do you find meaning? Number three got me wondering, how do you find meaning if all there is is what you see? How do I find meaning? That's an interesting question because I don't find meaning. I experience things meaningfully. Okay, so what does that mean? What even is meaning? Yeah, just meaning is not something that you find somewhere, as if I go and I 
open up a treasure box and I go, wow, there's meaning. I've, I've found meaning. Meaning is something that is part of experience. So if you're a human that can cognitively experience things in the world, you experience those things in a qualitative sense. When we talk about meaning, it seems important to establish what we believe in. So I asked Kyle, what do you believe in? I believe in being a good person. I believe in uh, the inherent worth and dignity of, of homo sapiens and higher primates. What I don't believe is in anything supernatural. I don't believe there are gods or a god or a mystical, magical force that permeates the universe. But it wasn't always this way for Kyle. At one point, I became a Christian for a couple of years in my late teens. During his Christian phase, the idea of cosmic order, that everything happens for a reason, really appealed to Kyle. Best of all, every tragedy and positive event had purpose or hidden meaning. Because it was all tied together under this grand plan, this scheme, this meta-narrative of God. So somehow even the worst things that happen were for God's glory and for my betterment and the good things that happened were blessings from God, so it was all connected, yes. But this phase only lasted about four years. At some point, he found it difficult to believe anymore, and he started asking questions, which is how he became an atheist who's also a PhD student in religion. I asked Kyle if his quality of life decreased after he deconverted, like if he became depressed in this huge, meaningless world. Loss of happiness? Not necessarily. What I did find was a troublesome adventure ahead of me as opposed to a plan that I was fulfilling. Kyle traded in his quest for meaning, for personal agency. And he says it's been liberating. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Esch. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.